Good morning, Abundant Life Church. Whether you're joining us from the online campus or out in Sandy or out in Vancouver or here in Happy Valley, I am so excited uh, that you're with us today, and I'm so uh, just glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Dave Prohl. I'm uh, one of the pastors at Abundant Life Church. I began attending here nearly 30 years ago in the fall of 1991, and I just recently celebrated my 20-year uh, celebration of uh, being in vocational ministry here on staff at the church. Last week, Pastor Aaron actually announced my teaching today and said it might be the equivalent of seeing a shooting star because I just don't do it that often. Uh, I've been thinking it more like the cicadas on the East Coast that I've been underground for a long time. I've, I'm burrowing my way out. I'm going to make a lot of noise and I'm going to breed and then I'm going to die. And if you need to picture me as a cicada, then uh, this might be it right here. So Dave is a cicada. For those of you who are new to Abundant Life Church, I just thought I'd take a minute and share with you my journey here. Uh, during my tenure on staff, I've been the ALC youth pastor. I've been the pastor of all our technical ministries and communications. I'm currently serving as an executive pastor, and my primary responsibilities fall in that category of those things that are typically behind the scenes at the church, uh, but they're critical to help the church function. I work with our finance department, uh, manage all our budgets, the, uh, and help steward all our financial resources. I oversee human resources and our facilities teams, and then I support this amazing team of staff that lead our ministries such as local and global uh, outreach, as well as our adult ministry and our group ministry. I have an amazing wife, her name's Jennifer. She happens to also be ALC's staff accountant, but recently she has begun serving as the Vancouver campus pastor. Uh, I just wanna stop. Hey, Vancouver, you guys are amazing. It's probably one of my favorite places to worship and hang out. Uh, you are a fun group of folks, and I wanna personally say thank you this morning for allowing Jennifer to be here with me uh, on Father's Day as I'm uh, preaching live at Happy Valley. But we'll give her back, and I'll be so excited to see you guys again. Again. And again, thanks for sharing her today. Uh, Jen and I have two really amazing children. Our daughter, Mackenzie, uh, lives up in uh, uh, Seattle with her husband, Alex. And um, it, uh, our son, T. Michael, lives here uh, in Gresham. And I think we have a picture of my family. Well, that's my family as cicadas. But th they're a nice group of folks, and you'll get that. Although I don't teach a lot at Abundant Life Church, I do want you to know how grateful I am uh, for our amazing teaching team here and that I am truly honored to have this opportunity today. Prepping for a message is hard work. I've known that I was going to share today, I think back at the 1st of April, and so this topic has been on my mind nearly every day since. Today I'm kicking off a short series. Uh, it's a two-parter, and it's focused on this topic of generosity. I've been giving the topic of generous living, and Pastor Mike Howerton will be here next Sunday to talk about generous giving. Uh, if uh, you have your Bibles with you today, uh, I'm going to encourage you to uh, take a moment and find Romans 12, and we're going to be verses 9 through 18. Uh, that'll be our key passage today, so go find that now, and we'll get to that in just a minute. <clears throat> I think uh, the fact that generosity uh, just as a, as a topic is really big. So my plan today and my goal is to share just a couple of thoughts and share a couple of examples of what I feel is generous living. 
Uh, we'll look at some passages of scripture that outline what it is to, uh, that, that, that from God's words that encourages us to make that choice. And ideally, if I do my job today, you'll leave challenged to live a slightly more generous life in order. And the reason for this is in order to make the good news of Jesus a reality for all of those that you engage with every day. Of course, we just finished a series, a three-week series, um, that was uh, really great because it talked about this sort of base uh, of, of thoughts that abundant life is built on. Uh, and the, the series was called On Mission. Pastor Aaron Baker talked about uh, that we want to uh, follow Jesus. Pastor Aaron Walton talked about this, um, this notion that we need to be loving one another as a church. And then Pastor David Grigg wrapped it up uh, exploring the topic of giving ourselves. Uh, if you've not had a chance to see those messages yet, um, please take a look at them. You'll find them on our website and on YouTube. But if you want to know sort of that heartbeat of what we are when we're on mission, I encourage you to check those out. Like I said, I've been on staff for 30, or not on staff, but I've been a part of Abundant Life Church for 30 of its 32 years. And my recent favorite analogy uh, about our church that, that we've been sort of kicking around and talking about is the hope that as a church, as we emerge from a global pandemic, and that as we uh, pass through the season of leader tra leadership transition that we have had, that we, Abundant Life Church, becomes a lighthouse in each of the communities that we serve. And, and what I want to also say about that is I hope that ALC is a place where people hear the good news of Jesus' amazing love, God's love for us, through the gift of his son Jesus, and through him anybody can secure that eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father. I hope that Abundant Life is a place where we worship God together with joy and love in spirit and in truth. That we are a place of hope and a place of healing. I hope Abundant Life Church is, a, is never a clubhouse for the chosen, but is a refuge for the broken. That it's a place of growth and community. And as Pastor Jeff so eloquently puts it, Abundant Life Church should be a place where everybody has a job and a friend. So we talk about being a lighthouse. We look at, at uh, uh, John 8, and we realize it's a lighthouse that Jesus is the light. This verse says, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. So we're talking about a lighthouse. We know that Jesus is the light. Um, so if, if this church is a lighthouse in Sandy and in Vancouver and Happy Valley in our online community, which literally can spread all over the globe, by choosing to live generously, then we as part of this collectively become the mirror that reflects and shines Jesus' light into a dark and stormy world that is lost and that needs hope. So I think the more generously that we live, the farther that light will shine and the more people it will impact. All right, so that's sort of the direction that we're heading today. Our role as this lighthouse and our living generously being the mirror to reflect that. So now let's just take a look at this concept of what is generous. I don't know about you, I really like uh, Five Guys Burgers and Fries, right? Uh, those five dudes, when you order a regular French fry, they do it right. They get this cup, they cram it full of French fries, they take that cup, they put it in a paper bag, and then what do they do? They get another scoop of French fries and put it on top, and you got a lot of French fries. That's food generosity. And if, uh, you know, if you've been there, you know you could actually take that uh, paper bag that's now soaked with grease and use it for a fire starter, because it's 
just, ugh. but uh, that's generosity. I think when you think of customer service, our brains go immediately to Disney or to Chick-fil-A. Um, so, so those places just really represent that sort of generosity in, in customer service. Now, I'm not a handyman around the house, um, but when I do try and tackle an at-home project, I choose to frequent a little hard, hardware store up the street because when I go there, uh, if I'm trying to figure something out, the, the staff that works there is so good about walking with you and helping you, you know, figure it out and do that. <laughs> well, I had this project a couple of weeks ago where uh, I couldn't find the part and I ended up going to one of the big, big box stores. And I had the, the PVC fitting with me. It was a little something for my home irrigation system. And I walked through and looked at the aisles and put on a million steps. And finally went to customer service and said, I need some help finding this. And the gal kind of sighed and says, uh, she picked up a radio and she goes, okay, go to aisle 36 and someone will meet you there. And I'm looking up and I'm at aisle two, I think, and I, I don't know where aisle 36 is. So I wandered my way through the store, found aisle 36, stood there, waited for what seemed like a long time, and somebody shows up and I held up my part and he goes, oh, we're, we're not in the right place for that. So follow me. And so he took off and those guys move really fast. You're kind of chasing them through the store. And we ended up in this huge aisle that had lots of little trays of PVC fittings. And I kid you not, he took me, I stood in front of this uh, wall of parts and he goes, it's in here somewhere, buddy. Good luck. And he walked away. <laughs> that is not being generous uh, with customer service. So for me, when I picture someone who is exercising generous living, <clears throat> I think of someone who is going above and beyond, doing more than is expected. In addition to being, uh, doing more, I think generos generosity is revealed by the attitude of the person being generous. So generosity being revealed by the attitude of the person being generous. So let's, for the sake of today's message, I'm going to define generosity as it applies to gener generous living this way. Okay, take a look at this. Generosity of spirit is the openness and the willingness to share your own gifts freely with others, joyously and willingly, without expectation of receiving anything in return. I want to give you, a, let's think of a parenting example for this to maybe illustrate what I'm going for here. Um, you know, there's something cool when a child does what they're asked to do and they do it with a good demeanor. And let's say you have a junior high son and um, a junior high son and a good demeanor is, it's just, okay, stay with me. It's an analogy, all right? You have a junior high son and his task on Mondays is to take out the trash. And he does it on a regular basis. Um, is he being generous or is he being obedient? Okay, what if now on one particular Monday, he takes the trash bin out and it dumps in the driveway and all the garbage spills out and he dutifully picks it up um, and he picks it up and he puts it into the bin uh, and uh, then takes it out to the curb. Um, was he then being generous or just dealing with adversity? Uh, let's see, what if the neighbor same situation, is going to be on vacation for a couple of weeks and says to your son, hey, we're going to be gone. Will you take our trash out for a couple of weeks? And he says, uh, and they say, well, we'll pay you, you know? And uh, so he says, yes. By saying yes to that, was he being generous or did he just get a job, all right? So now, for the sake of the message, I suggest that if your son who takes out the trash and in that process sees that his neighbor's bin has been 
knocked over and garbage is strewn through the driveway, that he then takes it upon himself to clean up the mess without monetary reward and perhaps without anybody knowing that he even did it. Now, this scenario is one that I say is starting to move the needle towards living generously. So, generous living is doing more than is expected with the right heart and doing so with no advanced expectation for reward. Well, taking out the trash is, in this example, is just one job in a household. We have many of them. There's lots of things that we need to do each and every day uh, to keep the house moving forward. Some of them are fun. Some of them aren't fun. Some we just have to do because we have to do it. But we agree to do these tasks in order to allow the household to move forward. So if we wanted to apply that to our lives as Christ followers or our lives in the church, what then would be those chores or those tasks that we're responsible for because we're part of the family and that's what we're supposed to do? So if you Google, which I did, rules for Christian living, what are those things? You'll actually discover Romans 12, 9 through 18. And uh, actually in some uh, Bibles, it actually says at the top, rules for Christian living. And uh, so let's see what Paul has to say, uh, perhaps as a context for a baseline for living like Jesus. Here we go. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. (laughs) Well, I read that and I gotta tell you, I'm not close to getting all my chores done this week. How about you? Anyone else feel that maybe they might be behind on a few of these things? So for some of us, maybe the first step towards generous living might be to just take time to acknowledge that there are things that as Christ followers, we should be doing. Now, if that's the case, I'd encourage you to just memorize that passage or print it out and stick it on the fridge next to your household chore list as a reminder. But find some way to keep these instructions front brain as a reminder of those things that deserve our attention that we're called to each and every day. Now, don't be discouraged. Probably like me, you'll find yourself falling short. And we're all on a journey, and we all have room to grow. So regardless of whether we're, you know, where you're at, the, the, we know that the kingdom of God just needs us all to step up and each do our part to accomplish these tasks that have been laid out before us. Now, let's look at the flip side. I just like to look at the other side. I also want to present to you today that you could, in fact, feel that you're doing all these things. And I just want to remind you, however, that based on today's definition that I've shared, If you lack doing them joyously and willingly and without expectation of receiving anything in return, 
Well, if that's the case, you too might have a little bit of room to grow today. Let's say, for example, that there's someone here that can confidently check the box that says in verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You go, that's me. But what if that person, if their attitude while doing it wasn't joyful? Or if their motivation to do so was for some sort of potential future reward? Would, you still, would that then still meet our definition of generous living? Let's think for a moment, um, I, I kind of like to think about looking at this through the eye of giving and receiving gifts. Um, have you ever maybe received a present that by the world standard was expensive, but because of the heart behind it or how it was given, or maybe it was thoughtless or the gift was given out of just obligation, that, uh, or maybe just you know, to check the gift box, that expensive gift to us might in fact uh, mean little or nothing at all. And obviously the obvious is true that we have, and I know I have received a gift that although monetarily it was, uh, the world might just say that's worthless, but because of the heart and the thought behind it, when it was given, that situation made that gift priceless. An example in my life, I used to be in the uh, Rotary Club uh, when I worked for the Boy Scouts, and that was part of everybody's in the Rotary Club. And each year they would do this Rotary Club rose sale, and each member of the club was obligated to buy several dozen roses right around Valentine's Day to resell, uh, and that money was used as a fundraiser. And if you sold the roses that you were uh, given, uh, that you bought from the club, then you could recoup, and if you didn't, you had a lot of roses. Well, you guessed that every February, lo and behold, at the Prole House, there would often be several dozen expensive long stem roses uh, brought home, thereby, thereby fulfilling my obligation to the club. Hey, honey, guess what? Yeah, I got you some flowers. <laughs> She's not an idiot, right? She knew the whole story. So when they were given to her at this time of year because of the rose sale, they didn't remind her of my love. They just reminded her I wasn't a very good salesman. All right. Now, in contrast, last week, Jen was working in the backyard and she got in this chat with our, uh, our neighbor's four-year-old son, cute little kid, and they got to talking. He's like, hey, what are you doing? And oh, I'm working on flowers and blah, blah, blah. He says, what are those over there? Goes, those are some of our roses. She goes, those are pretty. He said, I'd like to give one of those to my mom. And she goes, sure, no problem. Go get something to put them in. And so little guy ran next door and came back and had this little cup with some water in it. And Jen snipped off three little um, uh, rosebuds and put them in there. And he took them off and went in and uh, gave them to his mom. Now, uh, I uh, believe that his genuine heart to bless his mom with a couple of flowers from her cute little son uh, meant far more to her than the roses of obligation that I gave to my wife during the Rotary Rose Sale. So hopefully through this, we're seeing that what we're doing isn't nearly as critical as the spirit with which we choose to do it. And this joyful spirit of generosity is what makes Jesus's light shine brightly through us. And like it or not, as Christ followers, we do all have jobs to do. Ephesians 2.10 makes it pretty clear. It says, we are God's handiwork, which is great. We have a beautiful, wonderful creator. But we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, there's a ton you can unpack with that. But that calls us that there are things for us to do. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, and although I won't take time to just read it all today, 
that, that scripture paints a really unique uh, description comparing each of our roles in the body of Christ to the different parts of our physical bodies, that each part is different, that each part has a different function, that some are seen, others are not, but all are necessary. All right, speaking of bodies, <laughs> I had a really unique experience last month. I had my first ever surgery. All right, so I worked for the Boy Scouts a long time, lots of years ago. And one particular summer, we were moving straw bales to make archery backstops. So you can picture that big bales of straw. And we spent all day moving those and you have to pick them up and take them and move them out of the truck and do all that. And in that process, a piece of straw punctured my belly button, which was a piercing before piercings were popular. But, you know, kind of a trend-setting guy. Well, it healed up on its own. And as a skinny man which I was, it did not prove to be very problematic. But you fast forward 30 years and far more than 30 pounds uh, and things changed. My innie, I always had an innie, now became an Audi and the Audi kept getting bigger. So at my last physical, my doctor said uh, some pretty basic medical information that says we have problems when things that are supposed to be on the inside end up being on the outside. Uh, and, uh, well, this man finally decided to go ahead and, uh, and take care of it. You want to see a picture? No? Oh, you're going to see one. Before I do, though, I need to tell you another little story. Did you know our church van here in Happy Valley has had its catalytic converter stolen three times? It is so maddening, and I know some of you can relate to this. And I was working with Doug Crows, our facilities director, said, what are we going to do about it? And then the obvious came. It says, we have a garage that's full of stuff and it's where we build sets, but why don't we put the van into the garage? So we moved a bunch of stuff and put it in there. So I'm in the hospital recovering from umbilical surgery, a hernia surgery, and in recovery, Doug sends me this picture. All right? And I go, Doug, that's exactly what happened to me today. This picture purposely illustrates that we take something that was on the outside, in potential trouble, and we put it in where it belonged. All right, that's a little silly. No more weird pictures and strange illustrations. Uh, but what I want to talk about is how that day in the hospital for my surgery reminded me a lot about how each of us can do our part at the church. So leading up to this procedure, I was really nervous to go under the knife and especially to go under general anesthetic. I'm not anesthesia. I've never had that before. And, and I don't know about others of you who have had big medical days and, and surgery, but I did find myself in the days, and especially the night before, praying for my surgeon. I prayed that he had a good week, uh, that he wasn't having a fight with his family or his wife. I prayed that he got a good night's sleep uh, and, and he was well-rested. And I prayed that he was excited about what was probably his 500th uh, hernia repair as he was his first. Uh, I'm, I'm glad he, I wasn't his first, but uh, you get the point with that, right? So to me, in this scenario of what I was going to go into, the surgeon was the most important part of my day. But as the day of my surgery unfolded, I was reminded that he wasn't the only one that we'd interact with. When Jen took me to the hospital, we were checked in with the receptionist on the main floor. We went up to the second floor and met a whole other person. And each time they're looking us up and checking our paperwork and giving you the band, a nurse came out and took, us, uh, took vital signs and took us to the room. And lo and behold, we got to the room and it was the wrong bed. 
I don't know what was wrong. It's probably, and I said, well, you need a bigger bed. You're a big guy. So she went down the hall and brought in a brand new bed. And then a couple of nurses came in and they did vitals and they checked my medicines. And then the anesthesiologist came in and he talked to me. And finally the surgeon came in and said, ready to go. I ended up in the operating room. There was a ton of people in there. And my favorite person in the whole day was the nice guy with the little ice chips uh, that gave me when I was waking up from my anesthesia. What I want to tell you, and the reason I tell you all that, is I honestly felt a little weird that the night before I only prayed for my surgeon. There were so many who did their job that day and did so with so much excellence. If any one of them had not done the good works prepared in advance of my surgery for them to do, my outcome might have been very different. Think about what if we pulled up to the hospital and, um, and the surgeon had to go downstairs and enter us into the computer or, or he was the one that took us upstairs and said this is the wrong bed or if the anesthesiologist got distracted by something else that he was supposed to do and couldn't do his job because someone else wasn't there to do it. You get my point. Um, and, and, and I also just have to acknowledge that as the, the passage in Corinthians says, some jobs are more glamorous than other. Uh, you know, before this day, I prayed for my surgeon because he's like the big guy, right? Now I pray for the nurse that had to show me how to close the flap in my gown. <laughs> she needs prayer. So, um, but everyone that day played a really important role. So for fun now, I just want to compare my day in surgery at the hospital with what I think might be a typical Sunday at church. You come here to worship and to learn, and we have really high expectations for those that we know by name on stage. And we might even just pray for them, our worship leader or our teaching pastor. But we can't ever forget the other parts of the body that are so critically important. Children's workers, student ministry workers, our parking team, ushers, security, tech team, greeters, prayer partners, community prep, they, the list goes on. But what I want to say, and, and, and I want to go back to our, our, our definition of generous living, it's just not the fact that each person takes on these tasks, but they do it with openness and willingness and joy, and they're giving their gifts freely uh, without expectation of receiving anything in return. Can you imagine a Sunday at church without that? What if our greeters were grumpy? What if our kids' workers just hated kids? Or our parking team set up a valet booth so that they could get financially rewarded for each car that they park? Or if our communion prep team was allergic to grape juice? You get the point. So my prayer is that when you choose generous living in your family, in the community, or here at the church, that you find a place that is smack dab in the middle of your sweet spot that you actually feel just a little guilty that you're having too much fun serving at church and that time flies and that your cup is filled. But friends, I'm, I'm afraid that too often we find ourselves on just the edge of generous living and never taking that next step of actually doing it because we're just too consumed with taking care of our own needs. This might be the time in today's message that my wife refers to when the preacher goes from preaching to meddling. But trust me, I'm not immune to this. I can say what I'm about to share because I struggle with these exact same thoughts. Do any of these ring a bell? You know what? I'll start living generously when my tank is full. I'll start smiling when I'm happy. 
I'll start loving others when I feel like I'm being loved. Once I've taken care of my needs, attended my hurts and pain, made sure that I've gotten my fair share, then and only then will I consider to begin to live generously. Unfortunately, if this kind of thinking wins the day and becomes the norm, our lighthouse mirror that I talked about that is supposed to reflect Jesus' love, it becomes cracked and tarnished, and it just doesn't work very well. Oswald Chambers, who wrote the devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, warned what happens if our focus becomes inward and self-destructive instead of outward. He says this, No sin is worse than the sin of self-pity because it removes God from the throne of our lives, replacing him with our own self-interest. It causes us to open our mouths only to complain and we simply become spiritual sponges, always absorbing, never giving, and never being satisfied. And there is nothing lovely or generous about our lives. I want to just be straight with you today. Generous living is not easy. It's hard to take an action step. When I choose generous living, it costs me something and I may or may not have instant gratification for that choice. I've heard it said, I'm sure you have too, that sometimes you have to act your way into a feeling instead of waiting to feel your way into an action. Motivational speaker Emery Austin put it this way, and I just love this. It says, you know, some days there won't be a song in your heart. Sing anyway. Now, if you're looking for motivation to take that step, you need more encouragement. Uh, even when you don't feel like taking a step, please memorize Philippians 2 that says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the spirit of any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not look, looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So now with this in mind, I hope that the next time God gives you a nudge, you take a step of faith and you trust God you don't have to figure it all out before you say yes and that you have a sense that God is prompting you to get involved, to engage, to serve, and to be a part of the solution. And I just say, go for it. But before I start wrapping up, I gotta give one disclaimer. As you consider generous living and you make a step in that direction, the truth is that each and every time you say yes to something, you're simultaneously saying no to something else. Pastor David talked about this last week. I hope that your process of choosing to live generously is prayed over. It's thought out and intentional. But please don't leave here today thinking that the solution to this is to just pile on more and more and more doing. Take a look at those things that, you're, that, that are occupying your time right now and make a front brain decision of saying no to some things and maybe even no to some good things in order to say yes to great things. I believe margins are important and they make us more attractive. If you share that you're a Christ follower and your world is full of stress and conflict and burnout and worry, what kind of light are you reflecting? I don't know if you, do you remember the, uh, the old Jerry, uh, Jerry uh, Seinfeld animated film called The B-Movie? 
I wasn't a fan. My daughter loved it. But for your consideration, here is the entire script of the B movie condensed to one page. <sighs> Regardless if it's a good movie or not, seeing it like this is strange. That's a lot of content. But is it attractive? Do you want to read it? Not me. Well, how about you? When people look at you, do they see margin in your life? Does being a Christ follower look attractive for you, on you? Do people see joy? Do they see a reflection of God's light? Or do they see a life so packed and so slammed together that nothing makes sense? So I'm going to encourage you to make it a point to periodically take a, a stock in what you're choosing to do with your time and to evaluate each thing that you do against this measure of generous living and how we're called to live in Romans 12. Wow. I'm going to close with, uh, with a story um, of generosity that I felt in my life um, as a way to, I think, just illustrate my heart of this. Um, I was, uh, it was 1992. I was 29 years old. I was born and raised out in Vernonia, Oregon. And uh, my folks who were married 42 years were still living in the house that I grew up in. I got a call from the neighbor across the street that there was an ambulance at the house and that my dad had suffered a severe heart attack. He was 74 years old. Uh, he had lunch, he got up to get seconds, he came back, sat in his recliner, and his heart stopped. I was living in Park Rose at the time and I happened to be home when the call came in. And so I made my way across uh, town uh, to the St. Vincent's Hospital to meet my mom and discover uh, how serious this was. My folks are both pretty stoic and I really can't remember a time prior to this that I saw my mom cry. So when I arrived at the hospital and saw tears in her eyes, I knew that my father was no longer alive. I gave my mom a hug and we just sat for a moment enveloped by the grief uh, that we were both experiencing then in real time. But it's what happened next to me that is the most powerful examples of generous living that's been demonstrated in my life uh, that I'd like to uh, share with you today. So my mom said, Dave, I want you to see him, referring to the body of my father that was in the next room. And so I supported her and we walked together down the hall into the emergency room. I wasn't ready for what she said next. She said, Dave, I want you to touch his body. I complied, I, I reached out my hand and I placed it on now his cold forehead. And I really can still recall that sensation, but I was a bit perplexed of why that was so important. My mom said this, Dave, I want you to know that he's not here anymore. This was just his tent and it's empty now and he's not here. He's in a much, much better place. Of course, she was referring to 2 Corinthians 5, a passage that she spoke of often as she lamented her own aging body, that these bodies we have here are so temporary. And this scripture is a promise that we'll get a new one someday. And she wanted to show me that my dad was done with his earthly tent. I just cherished that memory. I didn't realize until many years later that my mom demonstrated the epitome of generous living. She had been married to my father for 42 years. She was moments into the shock and pain of losing her life partner. Yet in that moment, she didn't choose to make it all about her. She chose that moment to comfort and parent her 29-year-old son. That's living generously. 
a perfect example of Paul's words. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I'm going to close today, but what I want you to do is do this for me. Would you be so bold as to go home today and reread Romans 12, 9 through 18? And before you do, invite God to allow one or two of those things to jump off the page to you and take note of them, and then go do something about it. Look at your priorities. Make choices to live generously. Uh, and I guarantee our world will be just a little brighter and our lighthouse will be amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day that we could gather together to look at your word and uh, discover what you have for us to do and the heart that you want us to do it with. Father, I ask that today each that are here would read your word and invite you to speak to them. And if today there's any here that haven't taken that step of inviting you into their life as, your Lord, as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that that would be the next first right step for them today, that they would hear your call and that they would follow you. We love you and thank you and pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.